uh, we taught, started last week this series all about food. What well, kind of all about food? You see the, uh, the table is set and, uh, our series is dinner with Jesus. As I said, uh, last week and kind of set this up. If, if you're here, you can, you can track. If you weren't, I'll catch you up. But, uh, there are many, 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 many times, maybe we don't think about it much, but many times throughout the gospels where we see Jesus ministry, where he is sharing a meal with someone. He is, uh, he's, uh, uh, breaking bread, literally sometimes, and, and feeding thousands. Um, there are many, many times when his ministry centered around or, or focused on, uh, the, the meal where they were, where, where they were, uh, where they were eating. Now, the focus wasn't so much on the, uh, on the food, though. It was, uh, it was focused on the, the relationships, the, uh, the, the connection, the community that, that he was, but, but a lot of times, and, and I think we can relate to this a lot of times because food, plays a big part in in our lives right we if we didn't eat we wouldn't live uh we we eat to uh to live reminds me of a story from from college uh one of my friends uh had a had a class during the typical lunch hour so the cafeteria is open for a certain length of time uh her class was was open uh or w- during most of that time and then so then right as that class was over she had to hightail it over to the cafeteria and get in there before they shut down for the afternoon started prepping for supper so so she had to leave literally from that class and uh just take off across campus so she could make it to uh to 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 lunch to to eat on time well, she, that class just so happened to be with, uh, with a professor that, that I had several times as well, Dr. Kyung Kim. Um, I think he's still, still around. I guess I can mention his name. I'm not gonna, not, anyway. Uh, he, he was, he was from, as you can maybe, uh, d- deduct from his name, he was not from, uh, these parts. Uh, he was from, uh, Korea, I believe, and had quite an accent. Um, so much so that we would many times lean in and uh, try to figure out what he was saying. Uh, didn't quite know. We would uh, we would laugh later about things that he said or what we thought he said. I was just we, we uh, Dr. Kim. There were a lot of uh, Dr. Kimmyisms, I guess, that we would uh, anyway. So in this class, she's uh, she's in the class, uh, and at some point during the class, Dr. Kim says, and and uh, forgive me if I don't get his accent just right, but uh, he's he's asking the class. Do you leave to eat? And my friend Val says, yes. Yes, I do. In her head, she knows. As soon as she gets up from that class, she leaves that class, and she goes and eats. And and he's like, you do? You leave to eat? Yeah, yeah, I, I sure do. I do. Third time, you leave, and then he, then he, uh, he decided he needed to get out the chalk because this happened many times where he would have to write down on the board what he was saying so that they would understand. And so he writes down, do you, L-I-V-E, live to eat? And she was answering, yes, I live to eat. Which, if you knew Val, um, she might say yes, I don't know. But, uh, uh, anyway, she, uh, uh, she, they all got, we all got a big laugh out of that because she leaves to eat. I don't know whether you would say that you live to eat. A lot of people live that way. We just kind of skip from one meal to the next. I, I know several people here, if, 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 we, uh, if we're having lunch together, usually by the end of the meal, or maybe even uh, not the end of the meal, we're already talking about what's going to be for supper, right? Or where are we going for dinner next week, or those kinds of things. Uh, our lives, many times, are focused around food, around the, around the meal. 
uh, food plays a major role in our lives, uh, but there's so much more to a meal than just the food. Uh, the food's important, and we need to sustain ourselves and all those kinds of things, but it's a connection. And so Jesus, uh, because he was human, because he was living life, he, he would eat to live, and he was ministering to people who were, were gathered around the meal and, uh, and, and doing that as well. And it was a great time to connect a great time to, uh, to, to, to teach, to tell stories, to, uh, to just live life together. And so he, uh, he shared with people, he loved people as they gathered for a meal. And so the challenge in this series is for us to pull up to the table with Jesus. It's not all going to be dinner time, but, uh, but the, that's the, uh, the, the name of the series. You get the idea that we gather up, we pull up a chair, and, and we want to connect with Jesus. We want to, uh, we want to learn from him. We want to, we want to grow in him. We want to be loved by him. And that happened many times in the gospels in the context of a meal. Today, uh, well, last week we were at, um, uh, we were, we were, uh, uh, at, at Levi's party. Remember, party with sinners. And, uh, so Levi, uh, was a tax collector and had all these sinful friends and they had a party and Jesus went. And, uh, uh this, the, uh, this time, just a couple chapters later in, uh, in the book of Luke, and, uh, we're going over to Simon's house for dinner, for supper. Simon's for supper, I guess. And, and not, now this isn't Simon Peter. Uh, you, you may be aware that Simon Peter was one of the twelve disciples and, uh, one, kind of one of the main guys. Uh, he was probably there. But this is not Simon Peter's house. This is Simon, one of the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees were the, the, the rulers, the, the teachers, the, uh, the, um, the church, church leaders. Um, and, and they had, uh, they were kind of the upper echelon of the community. They kind of dictated how people lived and what they did. And, uh, the Pharisees, uh, had, had been kind of stalking Jesus. We, they, popped up last week when we talked about uh, uh, dinner at Levi's house, and they had a problem with Jesus eating with uh, the, all those sinful people. Uh, well, they're still following around. They're still saying, this Jesus guy is, I don't know, we've we got to check this out. And so Simon, it appears that, that Simon has Jesus over for dinner in order to, uh, in order to check things out and, and see kind of who he is and, and, and how that all is. So Luke chapter 7, beginning in, in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven, and you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the sinful, toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. 
Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I mean, this is a crazy scene. I, if you've read the story or not, it's just great to revisit it from time to time and just kind of get blown away with this is, I mean, this is, this is a, a crazy deal. I mean, Simon, a Pharisee, he's an upstanding citizen in the community and, and he invites Jesus over for dinner. And uh, judging from previous passages already in Luke and even just the verses prior to this, if, if you're following along in your Bible, you just look up a couple of verses. Uh, we see that the Pharisees have been giving Jesus a hard time. Uh, they, they have been uh, accusing him of being a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Just so you know, all those things are bad in, in, uh, in the Pharisees' eyes. They were not giving Jesus uh, a compliment, calling him a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was not fitting into the mold of who a prophet should be, and so they were skeptical of this guy and uh, wanted to take him out before he had too much of a, of a following. Now, dinner parties in those days were a little bit different than maybe you have pictured in your head. So we want to get the setting. Uh, it wouldn't have looked like this. Probably no ketchup on the table. Maybe hummus, no ketchup, okay? I don't know what they were serving, but but uh, when they had a big dinner party, especially some of the richer folks or the more well-known folks in the community, uh, they would they would have folks over, and it was probably outside, probably right along the street, maybe uh, all like a picture like a patio kind of thing. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, and they were probably gathered around outside, probably a decent-sized group. I mean, Jesus was pretty prominent. The Pharisee is one of the leading guys, and so so a uh, big group, and, and this is in Jesus' honor, and so he's the guest of honor, and he's gathered, and they're, they're probably... So, so, so to picture here, um, it, it wouldn't be as weird uh, for, for this woman to show up because, because this dinner was outside, and it was kind of public and all those kinds of things. People, the other people, the townspeople, the commoners, would, would gather around sometimes at these dinners and and uh, and they would maybe watch sometimes the poor folks would gather around because they would get some leftovers maybe some uh crusts of bread that didn't get eaten or or leftover uh stuff that that, that, that wasn't part of the meal and so so uh those folks would gather and sometimes there was entertainment there were they would uh, they would gather and uh, and and have some some entertainment maybe someone would uh, maybe there was dancing or music or something like that and so uh, a lot of times this was kind of a whole community event even for the folks that weren't invited to it they would still be in proximity so so it wasn't as weird as if this woman like just walked into the uh, into the house and, and sidled up to the dining room table. Uh, th- th- that's not the picture that we get. Uh, it's not like maybe you're, you're having a barbecue on the back deck and she just comes around the house uninvited and just comes up on the deck and starts hanging. It's it's a, it's different than that. This would have been more public. It's still still weird. Okay, still still uninvited, still weird, but 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 not quite as uh, as as bad as uh, it's still awkward, but uh, but but not quite as, as as bad as what maybe you had in your mind. So this woman, with a less than stellar reputation, comes to dinner and she approaches the guest of honor. It says that this woman had, quote, lived a sinful life. Doesn't say what that entails. Many scholars believe that she was a prostitute in town, and there is uh, uh, probably a decent argument that would back that up. Uh, She was known for her sin. It was well-known fact that this was a sinful woman. Whether she was a a, a prostitute or not, uh, we don't know for sure. But she was she what she was known for most was her sinful lifestyle. Uh, people people knew her and uh, and and knew her for that 
for that sinful. Maybe Luke doesn't mention specifically the sin because maybe we can all relate to the fact that, oh, this woman was sinful because we all are sinful. Maybe I can't relate too much to the sins of a prostitute, but maybe I can relate to someone who has struggled with sin in a certain area or several areas of life. Maybe, Maybe we can begin to connect with the story more if we don't know the specifics of the sin. Whatever the case might be, this woman with a bad reputation comes in. She's bringing an alabaster jar. So this was a jar of expensive perfume uh, that uh, that most likely was an heirloom that had been passed down through generations in her family, uh, probably worn around her neck, probably not huge, probably pretty small, but the perfumes very probably the jar and the perfume together were more than a year's wages. So do the math, uh, work that out. Uh, it, this this was a pretty pretty expensive thing, probably sentimental of sorts. And uh, and so she approaches Jesus, obviously with a plan to honor him, to anoint him, but she seems to be overcome with emotion in the meantime and begins sobbing. That's that's the picture. So out on the street. Uh, uh, or on the, on the patio, other folks gathered around. She comes in where she's not invited, and uh, instead of doing something to honor Jesus, she is overcome with emotion and begins to sob. Uh, again, I think we need a, a little bit of a logistical picture here because this was not like pulling up to the table and sitting down with your feet under. Uh, it wasn't that this woman uh, did what I used to do at, uh, you know, at meals after after. After dinner, uh, maybe Sunday dinner, we had somebody over and they're all talking and it was boring and I wanted to get out and so I would crawl under the table and, and there, there have been times when I've pictured that picture that this woman, in order to get to Jesus' feet and get, get her tears on it, she would have had to probably do the army crawl underneath the table in order to get to the, that's not the picture that we need to have here. It says that Jesus was reclining at the table. So this is a low table. They're sitting on like like uh, pads and pillows and uh, probably, you know, I'm not, well, I guess I could, I don't know that I want to, but anyway, probably, you know, something like this. There's no coffee in here. I would have, would have been helpful to have some. So anyway, feet are out to the back. Uh, and so Jesus' feet would have been the first thing that this woman encountered when she came up to Jesus. It's not that she had, it's just, that's just naturally how it would, so logistically just get that, get that in your head. And so we, we read it there. She's overcome with emotion. She's crying uncontrollably. She's crying so much that her tears are getting Jesus' feet wet. Not just a, a little trickle, not just, you know, squirting a couple of uh, tears out the side. I mean, she is sobbing, right? So much that, that her tears are getting Jesus' feet wet. And so, oh, she, she, uh, feet are, I need to, need to do something about it. And so she, oh, my hair, I can, I can dry his feet with my hair. But while I'm down here, oh, my, I might as well just start kissing his feet. And, uh, you know what? I came here to anoint him. Uh, the, I've got my jar. And so she pours the perfume on his feet. I mean, it's a crazy, awkward, weird spectacle. <laughs> it's supposed to be a dignified dinner discussing theology. And instead, it's this big thing. And Jesus holds this woman up as an example to follow. The weird lady that crashed the dinner party is the one that Jesus says should probably be more like her. And I think that it relates a lot in our life. Maybe you can't relate to the, the, the setting. You can't relate to the, the perfume. You can't relate to the, the sobbing, the, the, the crashing, all those things. I think it's an 
amazing picture of worship and what our worship could and should be like. Worship is, first of all, I think we need to see from this woman that worship is intentional. It should be intentional. We're worshiping on purpose. This woman uh, heard that Jesus was going to be in town. She had a chance to get close to him, and so she went. She planned it out. It wasn't that she was skipping down the street and, oh, what's all that? And she made it over. No, she had grabbed her jar. She was, uh, she was ready to, uh, to, to, to go to Jesus and to, to, uh, to, to honor him and to, to worship him as she gathered, to thank him. Uh, obviously, she had heard of Jesus at some point. Uh, maybe she'd heard him teach. Maybe she'd heard about his healings. Maybe uh, she had, had been in the crowd when he was doing some, whatever the case she was she was there ready to worship it was on purpose it was intentional she was prepared to worship when you come to times of worship whether that's in a, a church service like this or whether that's in your own personal uh, private times with God do you prepare what, do, what does that mean? Does that mean we need to get a little perfume jar? Does that mean we need to sob a lot? Are you ready? Are you anticipate? When you come through these, when you, when you pull in the park, are, are you ready to encounter God? Are you ready to offer yourself? Are you ready uh, to offer your worship, to offer your life to God? Just practically speaking, and, and there's, there's a lot of things, uh, maybe I'm taking some liberties, but I, I think we need to recognize that there are a lot of ways that we need to prepare for worship. Uh, primarily, we need to be intentional about it. We're not just drifting in to attend this thing, and oh, they're singing, and oh, there's some, some Bible going on, and uh, I'm going to endure this sermon so I can go see the babies, right? We're intentional about it. How do we do that? What, 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 what happens? Well, one thing that I think, one thing that is important as we prepare for worship is prayer. We, we need to be praying about uh, uh, encountering God. We need to be anticipating that God is going to be there. God, what do you want to say to me today? How do you want to impact me today? God, I, I, I want to, uh, to, to, to follow you. I want to hear from you today. Uh, as you come into the sanctuary, as you choose a seat, which was more difficult for you today, I understand. But uh, as, you, as you figure out where you're going to be and, and who you're going to talk to and, and, and how God is going to reveal himself to you, are you praying, are you drawing up a lot? Are you anticipating that God is really here? And you are going to, could, you can hear from him. It's not that he shows up if we invite him. He's invited you. Don't miss him. Be intentional in your worship. One way that we can do that is, is prayer. Another, hang with me here, but another one is sleep. Now, I think you know by now that up here, I can see you. And I, I know who's, uh, you know... And, and actually, we're going to start putting little names. I'm just going to, during the sermon, I'm just going to write names, and then you'll know who's... No, I'm not talking about sleeping during church, although that's important. I guess what I'm saying is, are you getting enough sleep? Uh, what are you doing Saturday night in preparation for Sunday morning? What are you doing uh, when you plan your, your personal times of, of worship? Sometimes people, well, I'll, I'll do that right before I go to bed. And then, uh, you know, you, you, you wake up an hour and a half later, and the Bible has, you know, fallen down, which is, I mean... No better place to fall asleep than in the arms of Jesus, right? But uh, we need to be aware and awake and alive and ready for worship. And sometimes that could be as simple and as practical as going to bed on time. 
Are you, are you ready to, uh, to, to, to worship? Or are you just dragging in here? How, how are you prepared for this worship encounter with Jesus? Uh, offering. We took an offering today. We, we, uh, I, I, no, I don't want to say it that way. I never want to, to say that we took your offering, right? We allowed you to give an offering today. And just so you know, that happens every week. And I don't know if you realize that or not. As we worship, we have the opportunity to give. We need to be prepared. There are some times when I come in here and, uh, and, and I realize I didn't write my check. It's literally the only check I ever write other than my taxes that, uh, that, 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 because everything else is online. Some of you do that through your bank and it comes in the mail through the week and that's awesome. Some of you do it online through the little PayPal portal thing and, and that's great too. But, but are we preparing to worship God as we give or is it almost like, oh, they're passing the plates again? Oh, oh. Well, I, I guess I'm not really... We know it's coming. We have the opportunity to do it. We can prepare to worship even in our giving. Just one more thing. Distractions. We could talk a whole lot about that because there's so many things that can distract us from worship. I mean, uh, there, there's all the practical things and things that we can encounter that, that might distract us. There might be the, the, the lack of sleep that would distract us or, boy, I'm hungry and, and that might distract us. Boy, I really should have gone to the bathroom before I came in here and that might distract us. Uh, you know, all those, all those things can, can distract either us or those around us. Uh, it's a lot of times just in our head, right? And, and having the mindset of, I'm going to put those things aside for now and focus on God. Maybe uh, maybe you need to turn off your phone. Or maybe you're following along on your phone and that's great. Uh, but those, all those little apps are calling your name. Hey, you can just check Facebook a little bit. You've heard this point before. I don't know. Those are just a few things. There's a, there's a, there's a ton of things. The, the point is we need to be intentional in our worship. This woman was intentional in her worship. She went specifically to that party to worship Jesus. When you're coming into worship? Are you doing it intentionally to worship you? I guess it could also be, uh, you know, are you even planning ahead to be here? Or is it, oh, I guess I have nothing better to do. I guess I can show up to church today. Hope I'm not stepping on too many toes, but, but, uh, but, but we, we need to recognize that worship is something that we're intentional about. And not just in this place on a Sunday but uh, in our personal times with God. We need to plan ahead. We need to be intentional. We need to prepare for worship. This woman was prepared. Worship, worship uh, is intentional. Worship is also risky sometimes. I, I mean, where do I begin to describe the indecencies of this woman? Uh, first off, uh, a woman in that day uh, would not approach a gathering of men at all, especially gathered around eating. The men and the women didn't eat together. Unless she was serving them, uh, she would not approach a gathering of men eating at all. Uh, one of the laws uh, was that a married woman would not uh, un- unbind or un- uh, take-, take down her hair in the presence of men. Uh, we don't know whether she was married or not, or, or uh, again, we don't know uh, other than she was living a sinful life uh, but but uh, it was certainly that that would be if a if a married woman did that it was grounds for divorce back then a big big deal. Um, then to to touch someone's feet a, a prophet no less 
uh, uh, to, uh, to, to uh, uh, kiss them, uh, to, to, to pour this perfect... I mean, it, this is just, it's just unheard of. There aren't any... I mean, they don't have enough laws to, uh, to go uh, against all these things. It's just, just unheard of. She's obviously an unclean woman. She's not, she's not where she needs to be in her religious rituals, and so she would have been considered unclean. So therefore, anyone she touched anywhere, even if she touched somebody on the shoulder, uh, then they would become unclean. And so she was supposed... To, if she was unclean, she was supposed to keep her distance from those that were... It would have been completely understandable for Simon or anybody else in that, in that room, completely understandable for him to have her ushered out, maybe even punished because of all of the indiscretions. It, this was a risky thing that this woman, she knew all that. She, she knew that this was not something that was going to go over too well with a lot of people. She worshiped anyway because worship sometimes is risky. I, I don't, maybe we don't experience that too much in our culture these days. There are places around the world where, where worship is indeed risky. Jeff just came from the Middle East last week, a place where you don't necessarily shout from the, from the, uh, the rooftops that you're, you're worshiping the Lord. There are, there are places where uh, it needs to be hush-hush and quiet and, and underground, and it's very risky to say the name of Jesus. We don't have that so much here, but, but sometimes we, we are risking reputation, right? We want to fit in with, with those around. We, we, want to, uh, we, we don't want to necessarily stick out in, in certain ways, and so we, we, uh, we, we kind of hold back. Maybe even in church, in a setting like this, we, we, uh, we, we, I, I, I'm not talking about raising your hand or running the aisles or waving your hanky or whooping and hollering or anything like that. Uh, the, but, uh, but, but, but worship sometimes is risky. And if we really go in full bore and, and we do and express our worship to God, uh, it, it might ruffle some feathers. People might question uh, what you're doing, wondering what you're doing, uh, question your, your, your motives. It could be embarrassing. You might stick out. People might not understand. This woman risked all of that and so much more, and she worshiped anyway. I, I mean, she's crying here. She's sobbing. She's, she's uh, getting Jesus' feet wet. She's sobbing so much. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, I mean, this is just weird. This is just, now, I mean, I have to admit that, um, especially the older I get, the more, uh, I, I guess I like to call it, I get misty sometimes. I wouldn't say weepy yet, although if following, watching my dad is any indication, probably weepy is on the horizon the older I get. I don't know. You know, you're watching the, the Hallmark commercials or the, uh, the, the, the sappy little uh, shows or whatever, a movie or something, and you just, and, and, you know, I usually try to hide that, you know what I mean? You know, usually, <sighs> cold, I think, I, you know, I'm, we were ruthless with my dad, and, uh, you know, we'd look over Hear, hear an extra little sniffle or two. Are you crying at that? What are you doing? Well, now, you know, that's me. But uh, anyway, so it, it, try to hide it. Try to. Get, this woman was, I mean, she's completely out in the open, right? She is just sobbing uncontrollably and didn't care who saw it, didn't care whether she would be embarrassed or looked down on or look foolish or anything like that. I usually try to, try to hide or keep, it, keep those emotions in check because sometimes it's risky. This woman risked it all in order to worship. Worship is, um, worship also needs to be honest. This, this woman knew her sin. She knew her brokenness. She knew that she uh, was living a life that did not live up to the standards that God would desire for her. And she came anyway. 
in the middle of her brokenness. She was humble. She was, uh, she was open to whatever, whatever would come her way because she had to worship and be honest in her worship. She didn't try to hide it. She didn't try to diminish it, but she worshiped anyway. And I think sometimes we like to put on a, a facade of sorts, even when we worship. We want to do it just right. We don't want to stick out too much. We want to, we want to make sure that, uh, that, that, that everything works. This woman wasn't taking 47 takes in order to get it just right. And she, I mean, it, it wasn't exactly pretty. I mean, she's probably ugly crying, right? She's, uh, she's, she's down on her, uh, uh, she's fallen down on the ground. She's wiping. I mean, it's, this is, this is not great stuff as far as Facebook would be concerned. She was honest, authentic, trans, from the heart. It didn't matter what it looked like. It was from the heart. It was worship that flowed out of the essence of who she was. Humble and honest enough to throw caution to the wind and to fall at Jesus' feet. That's actually in, in contrast to Simon, Jesus' host for the dinner. He hadn't expressed much honor at all for, for Jesus that night, and, and he was really quick to cast judgment on this woman. And really, he w- just wasn't being honest about himself and his own sin. Worship is transparent. It's humble. It's honest. Worship is also extravagant, we see from this woman. Uh, her, her bottle of perfume was, was, uh, was one of the, probably the most, uh, most expensive things she owned, priceless to her, uh, it, it was it was most likely passed down, as I said, like an heirloom, and and uh, probably worth over a year's wage. I, was, she she poured it out in worship, over the top, all of her emotional explosion there, over the top. She got a little carried away. <laughs> she got a lot carried away because true worship is extravagant. Can you describe, define your worship as extravagant? I don't know if I can. A lot of the times myself. There's, um, there's a lot of places in Scripture that shows this or talks about it, uh, and it talks about it in the context of, of, of cost, worship being costly. Uh, there's, there's a story uh, in the Old Testament of King David. Uh, David had sinned against God, and, and God was punishing him and the Israelites, and, and uh, in order for God to relent, David, uh, David needed to, uh, to go to a specific place and to build an altar and to pray, sacrifice to God, and, and worship him so that God would relent. And so he went to this specific place, this, this uh, threshing floor. Uh, um, this, this farmer, uh, Aruna, owned, owned the uh, threshing floor, and David came and said, I need to build this uh, altar and do this stuff on your thread. Can you... Can and you let me uh, buy this from you. And, and the farmer said, oh, king, uh, just have it. Do whatever you need to. You can take it. You can use it. Uh, do whatever. And, and David says this in 2 Samuel 24, 24. No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Because worship should be costly. I don't mean bring in your heirlooms and, and uh, uh, break them at church every week. But what does your worship cost you? Uh, again, it, it's not about the, uh, the offering in the offering plan. That's not what we're talking uh, We have it pretty easy these days. We can come in, and, but uh, worship could cost you your reputation. Worship could cost you uh, your, uh, your, your, um, how people view you and treat you. What does your worship cost? Worship can cost you your time. A lot of times it's real easy to 
have other things to do on a Sunday morning or, or during, uh, during times when we should be uh, focused on God and, and uh, on worship and on Scripture. Be extravagant in your worship. Worship is all those things, and it is also, and maybe this is the essence of it all, worship is our loving response to grace. Our loving response to grace. This is, this is really, I think, Jesus' main point around that dinner table that night because he told this parable uh, to uh, two debtors. One owned, owed uh, his, uh, the, the, uh, way, the, the owner uh, 50 days' wages. The other owed him 500 days' wages. Neither one could pay. The money lender canceled both of the debts. Uh, first off, we need to see that both of these guys uh, in Jesus' story were equal in the eyes of the money lender. Neither one could pay. They both had a large debt and neither one could pay. They were in hopeless situations. Uh, if you don't have any money at all, it doesn't matter whether you're, you're uh, uh, a month and a half in debt or a year and a half in debt. You, you, you can't pay it. But the money lender forgave the debts. Literally in the, uh, in the, in the original language, uh, it's, he made a gift of the debts. In other words, he told these guys, I will pay it for you. I'll take care of it. It's on me. And so Jesus asked Simon, who will love him more? And Simon says, well, the one who's forgiven more. And Jesus says, yes. And in that, we see the link between love and forgiveness. Our love for God and our worship of him is in direct correlation with our perception of his forgiveness. If I see the depth of my sin, and if I appreciate the extent of God's forgiveness for me, then I love much, and I get carried away in worship and expressing my gratitude. Jesus said that those who are forgiven little uh, uh, love little. This woman, sinful woman, uh, was forgiven much because she'd been a sinful woman. That's what she'd been known for. And, and, and so she loved much. And that might give us pause to wonder, I mean, I, okay, well, he's been forgiven little, loves little. Well, is it possible to be forgiven just a little bit by God? We might, we might ask that question. I, I've come to the conclusion from Scripture that the only way that we can be forgiven a little by God is if we have failed to see the depth of our sin and confess to God. It's a perception issue. If we've been forgiven much, uh, we will love much. We have all been forgiven much. At least that forgiveness is extended to us. It, it, it's our choice whether we take, uh, accept that forgiveness from God, whether we take him up on the offer of his forgiveness for our sins, which are many. That's the irony in this story. Simon was not any different than the sinful woman. Our, our, our pride and arrogance and spiritual superiority uh, more or less sinful than the sins of this woman. Sin is sin. Both were sinners, helpless to save themselves, just like the men in Jesus' parable. And Simon could have received forgiveness that night. The difference was that the woman saw her sinfulness. Could it be that the woman with a sinful reputation is closer to the grace of God than the the leader of the church? Could it be that repentant sinners could be closer to God's grace than longtime church members? It's all dependent on how we see our sin, the depth of our sin and the depth of God's forgiveness for us. 
If we get a true glimpse of that, we won't have to worry about all the rest of that, uh, uh, all the rest of the other points in the sermon because we will be over the top, uh, overwhelmingly worshipful and it'll be, it'll, it'll permeate every aspect of our lives because those who have been forgiven much love much. And if we accept it, we have all been forgiven of so much. So at dinner with a Pharisee, Jesus forgave a sinful woman, and he taught us about worship. Worship is intentional. It's risky. Uh, It's honest. It's extravagant. Worship is our loving response to God's grace. At the end of that dinner, Jesus told that woman, go in peace. She didn't come in peace. She came in pieces. (laughs) She came broken. She came... uh, Sobbing. She was a hot mess. But because of her worship and because her sins were forgiven, she could go in peace. And so I say to you today even though your sins are many, uh, you have been forgiven much. And so love much and go in peace. <laughs> 